for joining us. I'm Paul Wilson. And I'm Chris Emke. And this is Diesel Performance Podcast. Chris, uh, we are going to be going through some different trucks, some different RPOs, uh, some different generations of diesel trucks over the next few weeks, talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the truck. So, Chris, this is one of the the few times that uh, we haven't really planned out a ton of the episode. I think we're going to do a little bit more just kind of conversational style based off of our experience with these. I thought the easiest place to start would be with the LB7 Duramax. And when I say easiest, I mean easiest for me. Oh, because it's the first generation of the Duramax. Yes, it's the first truck that I learned about. It's the one that I, I... loosely have a good handle over teach me a little bit about the 01 to 04 first generation duramax all right well let's go through the good first okay uh i this was a revolutionary truck to the diesel space this is common rail mass produced in a pickup truck had not been done i wish we were on camera because your hands are selling me right there, now. it's it's i get passionate <laughs> about this i mean the, the idea that we went from mechanical injection to electronically controlled common rail injection it can't be understated how revolutionary this was. It was. So so with that uh, came some really, really cool stuff, like a very functional, very efficient turbocharger on a diesel truck. Also something that I would argue they probably weren't the most well-known for. Yeah, they were turbocharged well before this. That's nothing new to diesel. Right. Um, but, but the size of the turbo, the efficiency of the turbo, the longevity of the stock turbo, all those things I think rivaled pretty much anything that had been out there before as well as like peak boost numbers from the factory and things of that nature right i always find you know the the earlier generations of the trucks you know and you you say it's revolutionary and electronically controlled i i guess i wasn't around then right for that engineering and, and what took place but i always find it uh confusing that they had a engine control management system the ecm can talk to another system which is your fuel injection control module yeah. that then controlled the uh the fuel system or the injectors turning on and off so it's like it's so many steps which in the later years that goes away so when i think lb7 uh that that's literally what i think of is Fickham issues is Fickham, if not i'm not saying Fickham issues okay but it's just it's it's a complexity right it's just yeah. it's one more thing in the system so you know as we talk about lb7 duramax and the simplicity of that platform because it is the most simplistic platform in all the rpos right yep. of, of the duramax lineup there's still some of those little quirks and yeah that's one of the things i think of is uh the Fickham and the fixed vein turbo yeah Absolutely. Now, one of the other big things that Duramax brought to the table was mating it up with an Allison transmission. Yep. yep. Uh, so, automatics, again, nothing new to the diesel pickup tr- mm-hmm. space. They've always been around. However, I don't think anything really rivaled the, the drivability, the smoothness of, of an Allison transmission mm-hmm. at that point. In 01, what else was out there that you were like, oh, no, that's a reliable automatic transmission? No, I mean, a lot of the earlier, you know, adopters in the diesel space, I want the Allison trans. You know, these are guys that came from Cummins-powered vehicles that had really poor transmission reliability, but it was the Cummins engine that a lot of guys gravitated towards. You know, even in the earlier Duramax or earlier GM diesel stuff, you know, the 6.5 stuff was a Detroit thing, a collab there. Yeah. So, you know, there were some loyalists there, but, you know, the, the, the engines were uh, severely underpowered, right? So, yeah, when, when Allison-Duramax combo came out in 01, like, that was the hot, the hot truck on the street, not to mention, I mean, power ratio, like... 
that thing made serious power. It was a hot rod from the factory. Like, you know, you could tow. It was fun to drive compared to anything else in its class. You know, we're talking 2001. We're talking 180, 200 horsepower Cummins inline motors. And we're talking, you know, uh, 200 horsepower, you know, uh, 7.3 power strokes. Like, yeah. we're talking some really doggy platforms. And late model 7.3s that were riddled with their own uniqueness. Yeah. No, right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's. I mean, we've we've done episodes that that is an episode and a topic all in its own. That, you're right? right. You're right. Um, you know, and then the one thing too to point out, you know, a lot of guys in nowadays, you know, they they get so wrapped up in injector technology. That is the LB7s are the only RPO that run a VCO style nozzle. Everything uh, post LB7 are all sack nozzle. Talk a little bit about that. What's the difference between VCO and SAC? So the difference between a VCO nozzle and a SAC nozzle is the, the design of the nozzle and how the fuel injects into the cylinder. Okay, uh, The VCO, think of a cone, okay, a straight-up cone, and there is a plunger that literally stops fuel flow from ever passing it. And when it opens, the injector body is pressurized and fuel then squirts directly into the cylinder from that injector nozzle. Um, technology amazing, right? Yep. But in later years, they wanted to help try to clean up some of the atomization and, and smoke output, okay, the efficiency of the nozzle itself. Um, and that's where the sack nozzle came in. So the sack nozzle, still shaped similar to a cone, but it literally has a sack at the bottom of the nozzle where fuel is always pressurized in that space. So when that pintle lifts and the injector is pressurized for fuel to inject, you have uh, pretty much like a preload in yeah. a sense. So it's able to inject at a more efficient ener the, the rate, right? The energy of that uh, injection itself um, has a more positive rate to offer a cleaner burn, essentially, right. is, is the way it comes down to. So sack nozzles are going to be a little less wear than what you would see in a VCO. Um, we know working here and dealing with guys like Exergy Performance, you know, there's some cool uh, technology advancements, you know, over the last 20 years to make that vco style nozzle more durable um you know like the diamond like coating and, and things of that nature um but yeah i figured point out you know that that is the only injector out of the lineup that was a vco base now we don't really get people wanting vcos what we get is we get people calling in wanting to go to like the sac 45 right. and now have i seen they even have smaller than sac 45 out there there is a company that offer they they did a, a collab with bosch and engineering a uh, a factory sac style nozzle so bosch motorsport they offer from the factory a sac nozzle for the lb7 but the smallest nozzle size is 45 percent yeah so even with companies like exergy where they get into the heavily modified injector you could do a sac nozzle but the smallest you could go is a 45 and goes up from there yep absolutely um these trucks did have some bad spots in them and and it, it's a first generation it, it's a total revamp of the entire diesel truck yep. line you're, you're gonna expect to have some issues yeah. so so 01 to 04 duramax they pretty much realized um we got some injector issues yeah. lb7s have notoriously uh run out of of, of reliability from your injectors yeah. around a hundred thousand miles i'd say it's pretty common yeah. there's definitely a handful of guys that fall in underneath that level oh yeah you know that uh, mileage you know 
there, there's a lot to be said, right? For years on any of the platforms, you know, we have these, you know, well, within 100,000 or, oh, within this many miles. Well, then as these vehicles get older, age plays a role. It's not good to have an injector sitting in a truck for 10 years and never start it, yeah. <laughs> you know. So it, there, there's there's checks and balances with all of that. But I would say for an actively used truck, you know, that 100,000 mile on a stock injector was you did well if you got 100,000 out of one. In the newer style, you know, VCO stuff or the SAC style stuff. You know, I think you can uh, get an injector's lifespan to last a little bit longer and kind of keep up with some of the newer style injectors. I've always told guys 150, 200,000, you know, on a on a healthy set of, you know, good fuel running through the truck um, on any of the newer style injectors. But once you get up into that 150, 200 range, it's going to be something you're going to have to investigate, you know, potentially swapping out and updating. You've gotten your money's worth at that point. Uh, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> you say that it's a double edged sword because common rail injectors and any of the platforms are very, very expensive. Yeah. You know, um, there will be guys that are true LB7 loyalists and fans and they're like, well, injectors for those trucks are cheaper. Right, but it's double the labor to do the job versus paying a little bit more more money for the injectors in the newer style. The technology is advanced, right? There's different makeup of the bodies and of the inner internal workings of the injectors, but the labor is is half the the time. So yeah. you know, it's it's a trade off. It's fun, it's funny you bring that up because we spend so much time around mechanics here at Duramax Tuner uh-huh. who. I feel like are have it ingrained in them to hate the engineers from manufacturers of because course. engineers generally don't make a mechanic's job easier. No. Every generation not. of the truck seems like it just gets harder and harder for any real human more, to work on them. There's more complexity. There's more there's more things going on with that platform. But LB7 to LLY, that jump there, I feel like that's one time they actually hurt them. I feel like that's one time, and I don't yeah. know if it's because... GM had to eat the cost of so many of those injector replacements <laughs> where they were like, hey, listen, for our warranty department's sake, put the injectors outside of the fucking head. Yeah. I we're mean, done. And, that, and that's crazy, too, because, I mean, you think of you think of a 5.9 Cummins, right, in those year models, and the injectors were always under the valve cover. Like, it seemed pretty standard. Like, yeah. not, not out of the ordinary, right? So... Uh, to see that change from the LB7 into the LOI, which is the next RPO, uh, to have those injectors uh, outside of the valve cover, you know, it was kind of a, another uh, revolutionary type, you know, change because now you could service the truck a lot easier along with a lot of other really cool technology. So, you know, the LOIs, a lot of guys kind of put those as kind of like the black sheep of the group. Like, it really is a cool platform all in all for, for what it truly symbolizes. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the LLY almost feels like a response to the problems they had with the LV7, yeah. which isn't something we're used to seeing no. from manufacturers of, of like actually looking at our platform and saying, oh, here here's a shift that, yeah, hey, we had to add an EGR. That's why there's no four and a half split. Right. Um, but as long as we're doing that, here's all of these other updates that we could throw in there along with exactly. it, uh, which, which is really cool. But but with the LV7, I, I would I would say there's a few other things that commonly get overlooked. Intake air horns. Do you remember like when we when we used to have almost every LB7 customer in here who had honed out his own air horn? Oh, it'd save you money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did that. Cut out the air box, 
hone out the intake DJ, horn. The, the shop manager now, you know, when DJ had his first LB7, when I had mine, literally we'd buy the trucks. You know, they were used, you know, higher mileage trucks. The first thing we did at the shop, you know, pull the horn off to get a Dremel, spend an hour and a half, you know, modding that, opening that up, taking the factory air box, opening that up. We never wanted to buy boost increase valves. We literally blocked the wastegate off altogether. We'd get a hot tune in there, you know, back then, you know, Nick was, you know, in his garage or that was right when the transition to Union took place. So, yeah. you know, we'd have Nick throw a tune in the truck and, you know, we uh, we were uh, local local town heroes, you know, <laughs> driving around in, you know, those fully built stock uh, stock trucks going in the lit mode. Like so. if they would have had the sticker out back then, you would have had the locally hated. Yeah, yeah, I would say... Um, <laughs> We all have embarrassing stuff yeah, about no, our past. No worries. No shame. It, so we're no good. shame. Uh, the reason I got into diesel trucks was I could blow black smoke. Like that yeah. was the thing, right? And uh, my first, my first diesel that I started to modify was an old first gen Dodge. Dude, bought the truck, drove it home from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Drove it home, went on YouTube, learned how to tune the fuel screw and modify the pump, <laughs> maxed the shit out of it. I'm like. I would just go driving around, dude. If you got a call from that kid today, you'd lose it. That'd be like your worst call of the day. I do lose it, yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, here's the thing, right? Uh, This this isn't a, you know, let's talk about me thing, but the the idea and what was accepted back in you know 2009 2010 you know diesel was still very early like yeah. one of the kids that I went to school grew up with his name was Brian and we I went to a high school where we got our CDLs junior senior year we ran backhoes front end loaders drove semis like Wildtech donated a couple of diesel engines to us for us to tear down and put back together like not a lot of high schools have that type of stuff no no you got to have quite a bit of farm field around your school exactly. to get that. no exactly yeah. that and um you know my buddy brian he had a cousin he had a nasty six liter like it was an 0460 <laughs> it, it was, was a, the coolest dude, thing ever that it was a four-door long bed had you know stacks out the back and the thing sounded gnarly it it moved out like it it rode out for back then like no one had anything like that right like and it was always oh this guy three towns over he's got a truck <laughs> with a box programmer and like oh it, oh it's tuned with a bully dog like that's badass yeah. you know and uh you know that's just that that's kind of that era now in today's world like you still get those guys like oh can i get a smoke tune oh can i get a lobe tune how do i make my truck smoke right yeah yeah. you know the the consensus of you know what the diesel industry is now is you know i want the truck to be clean and run well you know a lot of guys broke a lot of shit over the years it's so funny you say that before walking in here i just got off the phone with a friend of mine that has a shop in arkansas and he was saying that just over the last three to five years his business has completely shifted uh no keep mind he does no marketing um but his calls have completely gone from i want to delete it i want to blow black smoke i want 600 horsepower Mm -hmm. he says he gets maybe one of those a day now what he gets nine nine or ten calls a day about is i just needed to run to work and i needed to be reliable and that's it that's that's all his clientele wants at this point we're starting to see that more and more out in the 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 market space the industry is maturing you know people it was think of how many people own diesel trucks 10 15 years ago to how many people own diesel trucks in today's world like yeah. that has grown exponentially um you know and as you know we're sitting here talking about you know the rpos we're getting a little off track but 
you know, there are still guys out there that buy LB7 Duramaxes that are virgin trucks, never been modified. I this love, is their first diesel. That. You know, so it just, it really goes to show that we, as where we work, we take a lot of that for granted. We had Nick on the podcast last week talking about how his start and all this was. Sometimes you kind of have to take a step back and think, okay, what was it like eight, nine years ago working here? How many people were we talking to that owned trucks? How many trucks were out in the market space? Every year as new trucks come out, there's that many more guys that are getting into that space. And their trucks that they had are now secondhand going to a new diesel enthusiast that's now doing research. So, you know, it's just it's a crazy evolving, you know, full circle experience of guys that, you know, are just starting to get into this. Absolutely. And and the LB7s we're finding are kind of having a their own little heyday, their resurgence here, if oh you will, my God. about guys who who maybe went all the way up to LBZ, LMM, LMLs. Yeah. And now they're saying, you know what, $90,000 for an L5P plus emissions equipment? No, thank you. I'm going to go hard pass there, and I'm going to go back and find a barn find, find a grandpa truck. I'm going to dig up an LB7, and I'm going to do what I always wanted to do but couldn't afford what I owned it. I mean, there's a lot of those, you know, especially, you know. I don't. I, I try to block out COVID twenty and twenty one. I just try to block all together. But we saw a huge influx of guys that they had the truck. They've had it since high school. Had it since college. You know, they want to give that truck a second life. Or hey, you know, I went to go sell off my truck to go buy a new one. Sold my truck. Realized that I couldn't buy a new one because there was none to buy. Yeah. I ended up, you know, searching the country, finding that older truck and and repurposing it. And you know, there are some guys out there that they'll throw some serious money into those trucks, you know, and, you know, you take a ten, twenty thousand $20,000 truck that's a clean body and you throw $30,000 into it for a complete new drivetrain, that's a ton of money, but it's really, when you compare it to what a new truck is, like, it's it's a cheaper alternative. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're liquid and you got yeah. the cash to, to throw it at that, uh, I think it's... I don't think you're crazy. No. I, I think there, there's a, a, a valid group of guys out there, group of people out there who... That, that's a totally viable option. It's going to work out really, really well. I would say noting most of the LB7s that we see come through the shop, there's a few things you should probably look out for. Yeah. Um, what's the last time you saw an LB7 with no rust? No no rust and no repaired rust. Um, I mean, you got to understand where we're located, right? Yeah. Um, I'm sure if we were talking to someone or interviewing someone from, you know, out west, you know, they, different would, story. they would have a sure. different uh, opinion on that. And I have I have guys that they bring trucks from out west here, you know. Um, those trucks aren't going to live very long here, <laughs> you know, all things considered. <laughs> but, no, I think, you know, if you're local to the Midwest, you know, or the Rust Belt, you know, so to speak, like, it's going to be tough. You yeah. Know, you're going to have body issues, but, you know, uh, you either you find a lot of guys that either it's a clean body they have to do mechanical stuff or mechanically it's it's somewhat there maybe a few little minor things but it needs body work i mean yeah. it's, it's one or the other yeah uh is it just me or rust doesn't ruin an lb7 for you i just i've seen plenty of rusted out lb7s and i'm still like damn she looks good yeah, no, I, uh, I, I definitely. It, it, you could have the rust in the right spots. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you gotta think. I mean, we're, we're talking 20, 20, 20 year old trucks, yeah. twenty two year old trucks now. You know, what do, what do you prefer? What do you think is cooler, the cat eye or the bubble nose? I'm a bubble nose guy. Really? Yeah, all day long. Uh, I prefer the cat eye interior, just the the updated seats and stuff like that. My, I'm a big fan of. Um, but if I had to choose a 102 truck all day long, oh yeah, 
That's funny because I think that's maybe the most hideous Duramax ever made, no. including all of the hate for the 15s and 19s you and gotta, all that stuff when they came out. You got to be attention to detail. The the 0102 HDs have a bubbled nose, so it's kind of like a built-in cowled hood in a sense. It's really mean from the front. So uh, yeah, no, it's just I've always always been that way. That's so funny. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. I. I I think we're gonna have to agree to disagree That's on that okay. one. I think I think they're they're well, they're quite hideous. I think we're gonna agree to disagree. You know, moving up on the RPOs and talking about the LOIs, yeah, right. Because I think that that platform is the complete underdog. I think that anyone that has an opportunity to buy one, if they're even looking in some of the newer trucks, should definitely rethink and look at an LOI. Um, I personally really like that platform. Okay, so what what if, what crazy things have I said about LOIs in the last seven years on this show? Oh, um, a lot, yeah. I've I've had a lot of like, hate dispute. Honestly, I think for you, it's like six liter LOI. Like it's it's that it's that it type is. of hatred. It is, yeah. and, and and I think a lot of that came from when I was on the phones and dealing with customers with LOIs that were problematic. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have a customer who is ready to spend ten or fifteen grand to fix all of the factory fuck ups, yeah. uh, that truck was a pile. Yeah. Um, what were those factory fuck ups? Like, let's talk about what. Okay, from classic. Perspective. Classic two seven injector harness issue. Okay. Most of those are fixed. I'll give you that. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty well updated at this point. Um, a surprising number of high EGT trucks well, is what I what I strongly remember out of LOIs. Yeah. They were almost they felt undiagnosable at the time. Yeah. Now, we didn't have the same tools and technology that we do today, yada, yada, yada. We didn't have awesome stealth boost testers. We didn't have really all that great of data logging capabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, EGT probes, uh, aftermarket installed on the manifold, you know, only last so long. They're only so accurate. So right. so I, I, I had a lot of heating issues with the LLY in general. Yeah. Why? What, what do you think LLYs are known? What do you think their biggest failure points are? Well, I mean, I think, you know, if, if you get into the nitty gritty, you know, the intake horn is severely restricted for airflow getting into the turbo. Nope. And ironically, that is the biggest production turbo out of all the RPOs. Yeah. So the biggest turbo from the factory. Aside from having the biggest compressor wheel, they also have the loosest exhaust housing. So they are one of the more laggy trucks for drivability. And I aid, I, I I blame some of the EGT issues to that issue right there. You know, the turbocharger itself and just being... And the intake horn. Yeah, yeah. yeah, The two put together, for sure. You know, those those are two things that I think are probably some of the stragglers in the system. Um, You know, EGRs were introduced federally, so you could get California LB7s with EGRs, which whatever. But from a federal perspective, LOIs, EGRs, and a lot of guys ruled out that the EGR caused had gasket issues, right? Yeah. I am not agreeing to disagree or disagreeing in, in any way, shape, or form on that. You're topic. going Switzerland on this I'm one. I'm going Switzerland. I'm going neutral because I've seen we've seen trucks in here, original head gaskets, two three hundred thousand miles, EGRs on there. They never had a tune, and it's been well maintained, and there's never been an issue. And Grandpa never hit more than twenty percent throttle. Well, I'm just saying that's not know. a. Uh, it, it, this is my pushback on that because you're not wrong. No, that that factually we've we've yeah. seen those trucks together. That you're not wrong. That can happen. Um, 
man, God, you just you just made me flash back to just how many hide gasket LOI hide gasket well, jobs I mean, I've quoted and dealt with and, and But here, we could fast forward to later years and we could talk about, you know, when you were in heavily on in sales and being on the phones, talking to customers with newer LMLs, like, oh, those things are great. They never pop a head gasket. A majority of the head gasket jobs that I quote and get in the shop these days are LML based. Sure. So, you know, are you gonna blame those on EGRs? No. You're I think I think tuning and neglect and abuse, all of this stuff plays a, a key role. And nowadays, right in the in the world of end of 2022, like we are going to see those LB7s and those LOIs that have never had a head gasket issue now have a head gasket issue because of age. Yeah, ten electrolysis years. Yeah. and the coolant stuff like that never being flushed out. You know, you see crazy stuff like that. But uh, you know, for my end, I just think the LOI, you know, the VGT, the EGR, those were introduced. Yeah. Right, you have injectors outside of the valve cover, yeah. sack nozzle injectors. Um, you know, I think, you know, one of the biggest issues out of that truck personally uh, that didn't take place until the following RPO was those trucks still had Fickums. Yep. Um, you know, which just it's it's the little things to add complexity in another area for something to fail. Yeah. It's also I wonder what the computer technology played into that. Oh, for sure. Of of like, could you not just build a bigger ECM with all of all of that circuitry in one? board like like oh. like like that that's one of those that i guess i always have the question for the engineer on is like what was the benefit of the ficum at the time because it's but, a computer but we know the technology wasn't there when you think of the circuitry and the circuit board of the lb7 and the loi ecm and uh, some of the finicky characteristics when you go to flash them and do those oh. things that once you got into the 06 and they were able to compact everything into that ecm no more ficum like you don't really run into lbz plus ecm issues like you no. look at the occasional problem which it's electronic it's operating there's always issues um or there could always be but like never to the rate that you would see in an 01 to 05 truck yeah yeah no no that's that's a good point is is how often do we see lb7 loi ecms just crash yeah just i mean just straight up just mid flash no reason didn't get interrupted just crash or or you hook up to them and the truck runs and drives fine you go to communicate and it's never been tuned it's never been touched allegedly um and you just can't flash it just will not communicate will not connect uh that can be very frustrating absolutely you know know, then you kind of get into you know i think you know the lbz platform right you think like 06 07 stuff slightly overhyped but one of my favorites one of your favorites what were the changes that you noticed going from the loi to the lbz yeah so so i'll hit i'll hit the things everybody knows right so we went from a five-speed allison to a six-speed allison super badass right completely changed the game also completely changed the reliability i assume torque converter change in there as well um still had a vvt turbo I, I know from being here, you know, hey, they're slightly different. I don't know how much, like, guys at home would, like, really notice the difference. A lot of guys say that – I just got a phone with a guy today. He's like, I got an LBZ. My dad's got an LOI. My dad's truck runs out. It's built trans max effort. He goes, my truck is stock trans. It has a tune, but my truck runs out and his truck makes more power. My truck responds better. You know, yeah. that's that that's that provision in the turbocharger to help it respond and be a little bit more, you know, uh, quicker to spool with, you know, the exhaust side and the, uh, the the way that the turbocharger essentially would use the exhaust gases. Right. You know. Right. So, you know, I always think about the LBZ as kind of being like that next level. Like there's no comparison <laughs> when you go no, from no, to an LBZ. No, no. Still had an EGR, that. but a lot less head gasket issues yeah. for whatever 
engineering maybe we can get an engine guy on here to tell us why one of them has it one of them doesn't or at least a reputation why an loy has a reputation that lbc doesn't um i think the big thing on lbc's that we saw probably like three to five years ago was more of the fact that guys were really fed up with emissions equipment and this is prior to dpf and def which are the most notorious to fail and it's pretty easy i mean if you throw a blocker plate into an lbz it'll still run and drive even if it throws a check engine light it's not going to limit your speed the way like a dpf will on a newer truck and i feel like that's the reason that that truck is kind of in the duramax uh, realm that's like the holy grail right it's it's the last of the cat eye right it's that last old body style truck um it's the first with the six speed it's a vgt turbo and aside from the egr it is a pre-emissions truck and you know there's guys that will pay stupid money yeah for those reasons and those reasons only (laughs) i would say if if i were to look for an older duramax that older body style i would buy the loy because it's that old body style you get the vgt technology you get the injectors outside the valve cover Okay. okay, and I could modernize the truck. I could put a slightly tighter turbo from an LBZ on there. I can put a conversion kit, a six-speed conversion into the truck, yeah. and I know I will be light years ahead money-wise compared to what it would be to buy an LBZ. You could also way. just throw an LBZ intake on it, or or an exactly, intake the horn. Intake yeah. horn and intake, but yeah. I mean, you're talking a couple thousand dollars. You know, I talked to a gentleman the other day, super excited on his new purchase. He had an LBZ Duramax, and he was proud to let you know that throughout the entire conversation. <laughs> very, very smart, very educated. He has done a bunch of research. Sure. Right? Um, contractor by trade, you know, and just he, he wanted the information shot to him straight. He wanted to debunk some of the things that he read and heard and seen and all that. So I asked him, I was like, you know, all the year trucks, you know, like the LBZ was it. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, you had no idea what, you know, what I picked up. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know. So he knew this old gentleman in his town, stopped there, reached out to the guy, said, hey, you know, if you ever consider selling the truck, I've been seeing it. It's cherry. You know, I want to buy it. Old gentleman goes, well, he's like, I don't tow the camper anymore. He's like, I'm too old to to be traveling. He goes, I'm actually going to be putting it up for sale. He goes, so I got the truck, 24,000 original miles, barn kept, right? He's like, I stole it, 29 grand. That that that's really fair. Like that that's, it, it, that's market not price. Terrible. Market yes. price that is fair. I think that may also have been the sticker price when the guy bought it. <laughs> sticker price was closer to forty. I, I'm pretty sure for that. But <laughs> okay, oh six, yeah. So I'm yeah. like, we're sitting there talking, and this was the joke, right? <laughs> Every clean old body Duramax we get in here is always like that birch, that silver birch, that pewterish gold, yeah. like right. So I'm like, oh, what's the cab configuration? You know, cab and a half, long bed. He's pumped. I was like, what color? He goes, oh, well, you know, I don't, I'm not bragging about that. He's like, it's like this off gold. I'm like, silver birch. You got silver birch. <laughs> like, it makes total sense why you got that, right? Like, I think there was something in the paint with the silver birch that, like, those trucks just didn't rust, you know? But, uh, you know, guys are, you know, to, you know, what we're talking about, guys are willing to pay big money, but that's like the most modern, old style truck that you could potentially get your hands on. That is, you know? yeah. Yeah, uh, guys, listen, we're going to dive into all of the emissions-equipped Duramaxes here next week, so we'll be talking to you about that. Want to give a shout-out to our sponsors for today. We couldn't do this without them. We just got a chance to go out to the WC Fab open house here a couple weeks ago. Pretty impressive. Huge. I mean, when we say a 100,000-square-foot facility that doesn't 
carry the feeling of how big it was. Or the amount of supporters that Jason has in oh the my crew. God. Like people flew in, drove in from all over. There were a ton of trucks. There yeah. were a ton of vendors supporting him in the open house. Like it's really cool to see the growth and and what's to come with the guys over at WC Fab. No lie there. Extra uh, G Performance, you know, we have their back. They have our back. We love their fuel systems and all of the components that they could offer Winter's us. Winter's coming up. We got to get our winter additive re up. That's right. Yeah, yeah. we're ready, huh? What, what are you going to run the? Are you going to drive the Cummins this winter? No, or? it's no. going to get put in storage soon. I got the TDI though. You, you used know, to be so cool. I got that. Yeah. Uh, no, it never was. <laughs> Self-proclaimed cool. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, XDP, your one-stop shop for diesel performance. Uh, They have everything. If you need it, XDP has it. Check them out. And then calibrated power. Like, thanks for allowing us to do this, right? Like, if it wasn't for them. Yeah, so we're in the calibrated power Duramax tuner building and employee count right now. So, yeah, Yeah, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for allowing us to do our job. (laughs) Guys, uh, for today, this has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Hemke. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, This has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. Make sure to like and subscribe, and we'll talk to you again soon. Whoa, 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 whoa. You sure? You're such a pile. (laughs) You're such a pile.